we welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. We thank you for the entrance of your word brings light and understanding. We thank you that it comes expressly, comes with precision, it comes with power, because it is power. It is your power unto salvation in all righteousness. We thank you that the man of God will be thoroughly built up, furnished unto every good work, and we glorify you and give you all praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Hallelujah. So we're dealing with the series, The Christ Conscious Believer. This is our 11th, I believe today will be part 11. Is it 11 or 12? Today's part 12, right? Today's part 12. Our 12th installment it brings us, therefore, to part 8, which is that the Christ-conscious believer is bound by, and this is very crucial, is bound by and yielded to God's word in the light of Christ only. Can you say with me right now, the Christ-conscious believer, and then you will say, is bound by and yielded to God's word. In the light of Christ only. That's very crucial. That's a statement of doctrine right there. The Christ conscious believer is bound by and yielded to God's word in the light of Christ only. And as a local church, you know that this is at the crux of what we are called to do. We are a word abiding house. A, a house that abides in, by, and through, and on the word of God in the revelation and the person and the character and the nature of Christ. That's important. Let's look at quickly what is the word of God. What is the word of God? And this is a Bible study. Bible study is not designed to make you feel good. The emphasis, the premium we place, remember, in this house is on the teaching and the receiving of God's word. So once we start teaching, you focus, you pay all attention, rapt attention. You listen to me as you would listen to Jesus if you were in front of you right now, because this is Jesus now teaching you. You listen to me as remember from discipleship last week. You listen to your teacher teaching you God's word as you will listen to the apostles teaching God's word with rapt attention, because that is the only way that you grow. He ascended before he ascended. He gave gifts, some apostles, evangelists, pastors, prophets, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, to the fullness of the measure of the stature, the st- measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. This comes by teaching that the man of God be thoroughly furnished. It comes that you, rooted and grounded in love, will understand the depth and the height of God's love. It comes by teaching. So the most crucial elements in your walk with God, the most crucial times of, of a believer is the times of Bible study. That's the only way you come into spiritual maturity. You don't come into spiritual maturity by praying. And if you heard that I said that the believer does not need to pray, you're on your own. You don't come into spiritual maturity by serving. Again, if you heard that I said that you don't need to serve, you're on your own. You don't come into spiritual maturity by giving. And again, if you're not giving, you are stingy and the Spirit of Christ is not at work in your life because giving is a grace that the New Testament believer enjoys. You don't come into God much spiritual maturity by worshipping, by singing or by playing instruments or by dancing, choreographing or, 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 or public speaking or any of that. You come into spiritual maturity by getting sat under the teaching, deliberate 
painstaking teaching of God's word rightly divided. And this thing takes time. In this house, you're stuck with me as a teacher that has a teaching group operational in my life. This is what we do. We take time to teach. So therefore, if this is a challenge to you, if you're part of our local assembly or you're watching, in this house, we place emphasis on teaching. Have we seen God do miracles? Oh my days. We're just not the kind of people that start up a service telling you testimonies or print it on the back of our flyers, which we have never even printed before in the first place. Do you realize we've never printed a flyer? Like not, not once. Not once. But so we, that's not the message. The message is not in the dunamin. The message is not in the gospels. The, this sign shall accompany them, shall follow them that believe in my name. The, it's, it's, we are not, we're not receiving miracles. We are working miracles. Miracles at the, miracle working at the prerequisites of every believer. Every believer. So we don't glorify signs and wonders. They happen in our midst. God heals. God delivers. God, God breaks addictions. God brings, breaks yokes. God heals infirmities. God gives jobs and he causes men to pass. We, we see all kinds of stuff in the miraculous. We are spirit-led people, but that is not what makes for spiritual maturity. The Corinthian church had every spiritual gift operational in their life. Do you remember? You go and read from 1 Corinthians 12 right through to 14. They had all kinds of gifts operational in their life. They had all kinds of graces operational in their life and yet in 1 Corinthians 3 Paul is telling them by now I thought by now you'll be ready to receive these things. You were not ready then and you're still not ready. So clearly they were lacking in spiritual maturity because they were deficient in spending time in the study and the practice of God's word. So in this house, we place premium on teaching. We don't rush teaching. We don't apologize for teaching. We don't try to run a microwave service when it comes to teaching because there's no other way you will grow. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes sacrifice. So if you're part of Word Abiding House as a local assembly or you're joining us, understand that we are a word people. So clearly we are not teaching this because of popularity. We're not teaching this because it's a fad because Christ is not the fad. He is the news. He's never out of trend. He's the message. Remember that teaching? What's your news? He's the news. He's never out of trend. So we spend time teaching this word. We spend time teaching the word. We spend more time studying and teaching and learning the word than we do praying. We spend more time teaching, learning and studying the word than we do singing and dancing and fellowshipping and all the hugging and all the all of that is beautiful but none of that matures the believer any believer that gets caught up in the kuriakos of church and if you know some of you might not understand what the word kuriakos means but those of you that get caught up in the or believer that gets caught up in the kuriakos of church and doesn't get called in or drawn into the ecclesia of church has missed the entire essence of being saved has missed the entire essence of growing up in fullness into God, growing up in God. And it's the teaching of the word that does that. Now today, it so happens that the element of the Christ-conscious believer we're dealing with is that the Christ-conscious believer is bound by and yielded to God's word, but listen to me carefully, in the light of Christ only. In the light of Christ only. What therefore is God's word? Let's start with that. What is God's word? I, I put a, a, a working definition for the sake of our conversation this evening down. That the word of God is the lifeline of existence. The word of God is the lifeline of existence. The word of God is the lifeline of existence. It is the lifeline of the believer. 
The word of God is the lifeline of, of existence. You know, Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without form of void. And then verse three, God said, John one, one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made by the word, right? Without the word was nothing made that was made. Colossians 1, running from 12 right down, we see that all things were made through him, for, by him and for him. So the word of God is the lifeline of creation and therefore it is the lifeline of the believer. So the word of God is the lifeline for existence. It is the lifeline of the believer. It governs our every move. The word of God governs our every move, action, thought, utterance, ambition, plan, and expression. It governs our every move or should govern our every move, action, thought, utterance, ambition, plan, and expression. The word of God is the lifeline of existence. It's the lifeline of the believer. It governs our every move, action, thought, utterance, ambition, plan, and expression. It governs our every move, action, thought, utterance, ambition, plan, and expression. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. This will interest somebody, actually. It will interest somebody. Deuteronomy 8, verse 1 to 3. Because you'll see something um, that when we tie it up in the New Testament to make a lot of sense. The word of God is the lifeline of existence. It's the lifeline of the believer. It governs our every move, thought, action, or ambition, plan, and expression. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy 8 um, and 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may leave and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. We're going right to verse 3. So verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you in all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. God led you. Yeah, the Lord your God led you in the way, in the wilderness for these 40 years to humble you and to test you. To humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandment or not see verse 3 so he humbled you allowed you to hunger fed you with manna which you did not know or did or your fathers did not know look at this that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone. <laughs> but man lives, do you get it? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Repeat verse 3 again. Repeat verse 3 again. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. And fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Why did he do that? That he, God, might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So now let's go to Matthew 4. And then we'll come to Luke 4. Thank you, Father. Matthew 4 verse 1. And uh, it runs all the way to verse 11, but I just need a few verses. So Mark, Matthew 4 from verse 1. Matthew, not Mark. Matthew 4, 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil too. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. 
Number three, now the tempter came after that he was hungry. Jesus took, God took the church in the wilderness in the way for 40 years to test them and know what was in their heart. Hmm? And they were hungry. And then he fed them with manna, which they did not know. No, their fathers did not know. So that they would know that man shall not live by bread. They were hungry. He gave them bread to teach them that they cannot live by bread. But by bread. Matthew 4, 3. Now when the tempter came, he said, If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Bread being the staple for food. Does that make sense? When you see bread, it means sustenance, what sustains you, what, what nourishes you. You know, it's like people, like in the Gambia, for instance, their staple is rice. Gambians can have rice for breakfast, rice for lunch, rice for dinner. They have benetine, which is their jollof rice. They have plasas. They have rice with vegetable. They have, they have the, the um, chagri, the rice pudding. Yeah, they, have, they, they do all kinds of signs and wonders with rice in the Gambia. It is amazing. It's their staple. It's what it is to them. It's like some people that, like you go to the Benue man and if you go to, to Boko or go to, during, during, during harvest time, you can have, you wake up in the morning at 7 a.m. and pound a diam. Oh my God, not poundo yam. Do you understand? Pounded, you hear it, you hear it. Two people going at it, you know. At the water that they used to boil the yam, you know, the residue, they're now using it to lubricate, you know, to oikodomo di panediam. Hey, hallelujah. As I'm speaking around, I'm feeling like, Lord Jesus, oh, I wish that that panediam was available after this teaching. And they are pounding, you know, you know where panediam is, is, is ministering to you as you draw it, the friction, the, you know, the, oh my God. 7 a.m. in the morning. The thief man, my mom is thief. I know what I'm telling you. I'm not telling you what I heard. Yeah, both Gambia, what I'm telling you, thief. You wake up, they eat pounded yam without soup. Yes, just have mackerel, you know, ice fish. Just have peppered fish in your hand like this. You hold that. So like, you know, you have a, uh, what do you call it? A finger of mackerel. The head and then maybe two bits in the middle and then the tail. Depending on where you are in the family. That determines which bit you get, just like the chicken. Yeah? So you either have the head or if it's a very good day, you get the tail. Because those middle ones, they, they compress it so it can be, you know, enough. And all you get is that one piece of the fish, prepared fish, with a huge lump of pounded yam. And you are taking the pounded yam and you are swallowing it. Because this pounded yam of the thief man doesn't need soup to help it. Do you understand? It's smooth. It is hallelujah. It goes and all you're doing is you just take the pounded yam, you swallow, and you cut a little chunk of fish. And you put it in your mouth and you eat. And that little fish in your hand, you can eat 2 kg of pounded yam. 2 kilograms. With that fish in your hand. There's how the fish can finish early. We will flog you. We will beat you because you have embarrassed the thief nation. By running out of fish to eat your pounded yam that does not have soup. And then in the afternoon, pounded yam with soup. You know that soup that draws? 
Okoho, oh, you draw it, it draws back. You draw it, it draws back. You have it for lunch. And then in the evening, you can have it with palm oil soup or with okra. You know, okra and stew. You have, it's a staple. So when you say bread, now wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, come back. <laughs> so when you say bread in scripture, it just simply means the staple. Because the staple of Israel was bread. So you could, you know, replace that, as it were, with whatever is relevant to you right now. Does that make sense? So back in Matthew 4 and 4, that was fun. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, Debbie just captured that brilliantly. She said, in other words, Gambians shall not live by rice alone. Make sense? And the thief man shall not live by upon the yam alone. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like the, the house man and two, two masara. Yeah, two masara, the mian toshi. These dried leaves that is like okra leaves, but very dried out. And then when it's made, you mean to shake. And it's just flat. It's just the mia, dadawa. Just the leaves, you know, water. Small oil and dadawa. You know dadawa? Locust beans dried. Locust beans, one that is fermented and it's beginning to mm -hmm, have the smell in it. And, and the awesome man can have two de mian toshi for breakfast, two de mian toshi for lunch, two de mian toshi for dinner. With, if you are doing well, you have a bottle of kunu. Or a calabash of kunu, you know, kunu to go along with it. I'm a bona fide Nigerian. Anywhere you place me. Oh, Father, deliver us from this food talk right now. <laughs> but you get the point, right? You get the point. Staple. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Hear Jesus. Man shall not, quoting Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Same narrative. Go to now Luke 4 4. This is Matthew 4 4. Go to Luke 4 4. See Luke's account. Luke 4 4 now. In Luke's account, Jesus answered Satan, saying, It is written, look at this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Go back to Matthew 4 4. Shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Luke 4, 4 brings it together and says, by every word of God. Does that make sense? It's the lifeline of creation, of existence. It's the lifeline of the believer because it governs everything. It is how man lives. Man lives by every word of God. So to, to be absent or to be devoid of the word of God is to have no life to live. It's to have no life to live. What are you living? to have no life to live. Why is this the case? Because the word of God is God's will. The word of God is God's will, God's counsel, God's essence. And essence there is the word logos. You understand that from the word, the power, and the believer. The word of God is God's will, God's counsel, God's essence. As collectively captured. And you'll not find this in any systematic theology definition or any book this is this, i'm giving you a working knowledge as the lord unpacked in my spirit as collectively captured in the spirit inspired writings you know how second timothy 3 says all scripture is god breathed yeah god inspired yeah we talked about that a while ago as spirit writings as collectively captured in the spirit writings of the bible that together 
together. This, this spirit writings, right? These spirit writings of the Bible together reveal Christ in the hearts and minds of the readers and hearers. Why is the word of God the lifeline for existence? Because it is God's will, it is God's counsel, it is God's essence as collectively captured in the spirit-inspired writings of the Bible that together reveal Christ to the hearers and readers. Do you understand that? Notice I have not said to you once that the word of God is the Bible or that the Bible is the word of God. I haven't said that and I won't. Because, so, so, ah, Holy Spirit, man, Jesus. <laughs> this therefore means, listen to me carefully. This therefore means, and I've said, I think I've said this before in our local church, that the fact that something is biblical doesn't mean it is scriptural. For something to be scriptural, of course, it has to be biblical. It has to be contained in the Spirit-inspired writings of the Bible. Right, as unveiled and unpacked in the heart of the believer or for the understanding of the believer by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, remember, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of himself, but he will take of me and he will give to you. So the Spirit of God is the instrumentality of the unpacking of the mysteries of God in the person of Christ in the heart of the believer. Does that make sense? That's, um, that's that. So um, that something is, is, is biblical doesn't make it scriptural. But of course, everything that is scriptural has to, of necessity, be biblical, be contained in the Spirit-inspired writings. Does that make sense? So whatever God intended for us to say is as captured in what is written to the measure that what is written expresses he who is the Word of God, who is the mind of God, Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, let's look at John 5.39. John 5, 39. John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees and the teachers of the law of his day. And he says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. You search the scriptures and the word there is the word graphe. What you search what is written, right? The written word. For in them you think you have eternal life. So clearly there is no eternal life as it were in the written word. Because the letter, which is the written word, does what? Kills. But the spirit, 2 Corinthians 3, gives zoe, gives life. So you think you have eternal life. And these, these scriptures, these written words, right, are they which testify of me. Put up the NLT. Put up the NLT. Same John, John, John 5.39. John 5.39. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me this is jesus speaking the scriptures point to me flip it into the tpt the scriptures point to me you are busy analyzing the scriptures tpt go back you are busy analyzing the scriptures frantically pouring over them in hopes of gaining eternal life everything you read Points to me. Now, this is not hashtag Pav says, even though whatever hashtag Pav says says is consistent with scripture, but this is not Pav saying. This is not even Paul that you want to go where yeah, Paul had his excesses or whatever. This is Jesus himself speaking and saying, Everything you read 
points to me. It's against this backdrop that we say that likes of stuff. So the stuff, there's likes of stuff like if you have read a portion of scripture and do not see Christ in it, you didn't read anything. It didn't benefit you. If you read something in the Old Testament and want to practice it isolatedly in the absence of the revelation of Christ, you are definitely going to end up in error with the best of intentions. And the fact that your intentions were pure doesn't mean you make your error any less, especially the devastating consequences that it has on the people that are around you. You know, there's a difference between Christian upbringing and bringing you up in the knowledge of God in Christ. You know, a lot of us, a lot of us, all we had was Christian upbringing. Gather you by force, flog you, pour you water to wake up for morning devotion. You will stand if you are sleeping. Our memory verse is, our text today is, yeah? The lesson for today is, repeat it after me. And your parents believed that the, that the fact that they woke you up in the morning and slammed a, a couple of verses into your head that you didn't even remember, that didn't help you when you got into trouble. They brought you up in the way of the Lord. That was Christian upbringing. That had nothing to do that to help you with spiritual maturity in 90% or 95% of the cases. Thank God for parents in our day and in some of your day who could actually disciple you in spiritual maturity in the light of Christ. There are very few and far in between. The bulk of what we got, especially in Africa, is Christian, in quote, upbringing. The problem is that people then grow up with that. You know, it starts to cascade. You don't pass that across. As a husband, you're grown. You feel like being a Christian means doing what your father did. Do you understand? Praying. The family that prays together stays together. Have you not, have you not seen many praying families that have split? They split praying. Do you understand? <laughs> Oh, my days. Jesus said the point to me. So to read the scripture, Genesis 2 Revelation, and not see Christ, is to just have read a storybook. Because the Bible is not even a... It's not even a uh, oh, man, Jesus, help me tonight. Because the, the Bible is not even... even so I, was going to, uh, I would have said is to read a history book. But the Bible is actually not a history book in the accurate chronological sense of it. So if, if you went to the Bible just for history, you might even get your dates and details mixed up. As far as history is concerned, history, narrative, you need to consult other materials that line up the timeline of narratives and happenstances in the Bible. That's a whole other thing altogether. So you can't even say, well, you understood Bible history. By reading the Bible. The Bible is not designed to give you accurate step-by-step Bible history. So you, at the end of the day, if you don't see Christ, you're neither here nor there. You don't know Bible history very well and you don't see Christ. You just read a book and enjoyed it or endured it. That was John 5.39. Let's see Luke 24. Luke 24.27. Luke 24.27. Hallelujah. Luke 24, 27 is a long read. I'm going to just take my time, right? I'm going to take my time. I'm, not, I'm teaching about the word. 
Yeah, I'm teaching the word about the word. <laughs> I'm going to take my time. Luke 24, 27, I'm beginning at Moses and all the prophets. He, Jesus, this is, this is uh, of course, you know by now in this house that this narrative has to do with the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, who Jesus appeared to right after he resurrected. And isn't it interesting to notice that the first thing that Jesus did as soon as he resurrected was to have a Bible study meeting. First thing, not crusade, not miracle service, not resurrection service. Jesus could have been the one to institute a resurrection service if he was interested in it. Imagine the kind of Thanksgiving service that we would have now for Jesus to successfully rise from the dead. My God. My God. God will come into the service. There will be no space for him. Do you understand? God can't even pass the car park. The dignitaries. My lady. The, the archbishops, bishops, venerables, you know, popes, politicians. You know what I mean? It'll be, it'll be such an exclusive event. I'm telling you, there'll be no space. Holy Spirit that doesn't have a body. There'll be no space for Holy Spirit to pass into that service. If Jesus rose from the dead in 2020 AD, let's use 2019 because you know I saw something online. One of our, our sisters, she she she, she 20, her birthday was a couple of months ago, and she said, uh, James, you know her. She said, I don't want to add this this year to my age because I didn't use it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, COVID nineteen has has used a lot of of. She said, "So this year, I didn't really use this year, but I cannot say I am not a year older." You know, so let's leave two thousand and twenty. Let's say you know we are having a resurrection Thanksgiving service in two thousand and nineteen A.D. And no space for the Holy Spirit. It will be such a huge event, exclusive event, like the most red carpeted event ever. We'll make such a big deal of it. Take over. You know, you will have Ike of, of DSTV and multi-choice. You will have all the big guys in the US. You'll have the guys from South Africa, from the UK. You will have, what's that guy, Pierce Morgan. You will have Christina Amampo. You will have all the, them guys in tents broadcasting. But Jesus rose from the dead. First thing he did was to find two disciples. He happened upon them. Luke 24, and started to teach them. The resurrected Christ began to teach, to strengthen the people, to strengthen the disciples, to grow them in maturity. Jesus spent more time post-resurrection teaching than doing anything else. According to statistics, Jesus taught three times more than he did miracles. Spent time teaching. That's the context of Luke 24. Again, it's a Bible study, right? We can't just read it and run. We can't read something once we establish the context of what we're dealing with in the text. I'm beginning at Moses and all the prophets now, Jesus and his two disciples, resurrected Jesus, okay, glorified. I'm expounded to them in all the scriptures. Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Let's go ahead. Then they drew near to the village because they were going from um, Jerusalem to Bethany. It was about a whole day's journey. So basically, when he says he expounded to them in scriptures and things concerning himself, it means that Jesus spent morning till evening as they were traveling, discipling, teaching two guys from Genesis to Malachi. Do you understand? Imagine those two disciples going with Jesus and he was like, you know what? Samson there holding that thing, that was me. This is how it was me. 
Moses in the basket, the, in, the, in the reeds. That was me. This is how it was me. Joseph in the pit, you know, sorted by his brothers in, in Egypt, the, the deliverer of his people, you know. Othnan in, in Judges, you know. That was Gideon with the picture. That was, imagine them just from morning till evening. Jesus schooling them in the DSTP of his person. Then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone on further. But they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is fast spent, 30. And he went in to stay with them. See how much effort Jesus, resurrected Jesus put into teaching two people the word of God. Two people. He traveled with them all day. He didn't need to. He could appear and disappear. You know, he had resurrected now. He spent all day lecturing two people on Christ in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, right through to Malachi. Gets there and tells them, my journey is even further on. And they're like, please stay in. And he puts, puts his journey on pause. And still turns in just to get the word to two people. Now we came to pass verse 30 as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it. He took what? Bread. Blessed and broke it and gave it to them. 31. Then their eyes were opened. Two men. Then. And they knew him. The word knew is the word recognized him. Make sense? They had an epignosis of him. They had contact revelation of him. The moment their eyes were opened. You see how Paul is always praying that the eyes of your understanding be opened that you may know him. Because when their eyes were opened, what happened to them? They knew him. They recognized him. They comprehended him. And in verse 32, and he vanished from their sights. We're going, it's a long read. We're going all the way to 48. And they said to one another, I love this verse. Did not our heart, but they didn't say our hearts. Did not our heart burn within us? We have a heart. The heart that links us together in Christ. Not hearts. If we are the body of Christ, we cannot have multiple hearts. Just as we cannot have multiple minds. That's why Ephesians says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Paul says, let this mind, not minds, mind which was in Christ be in you. Paul says, be of, I beseech you, be of one mind. So they said as disciples, did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. Open the scriptures was not turn your Bibles with me too. There was no scroll in Jesus' hand. Do you understand? So opening scripture was not turn with me to the scroll of Isaiah. Opening the scripture was to make the scripture plain to them. You following me? While he made the scripture plain, while he exegeted the scriptures to us. 33. So they rose up that very hour that very hour, and returned to Jerusalem. Imagine how long it took them to travel back to where they were coming from. Are you following? And found the 11, Judas missing in the flesh. Found the 11, and those who were with them gathered together. So there were more than 11. 
they were the 11, those who were with them, right? And said to them, 34, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Based on what Jesus was now telling them or had told them. 35, and they, these two, told the others about the things that had happened on the road. And how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them <laughs> and said to them, Peace to you, as they were testifying of Jesus. And that is what the testimony of Jesus does. The testimony of Jesus triggers the manifestation of the presence of Jesus. Not the testimony of your problem, sir. Not the testimony of your predicament. Not let me preach for one minute right now. Not the testimony of your circumstances. Not the testimony of your, what you're going through. Not the testimony of what somebody did to you. Not the testimony of where you are or what's happening to you and what's holding you back. That does nothing to manifest Christ in your life. What causes him to manifest is the testimony of Jesus. The moment you are testifying of Jesus, Jesus shows up. As a response to the testimony, he answers his name. Yes. Hallelujah. Oh, that, is, that excited me. Yeah. While they were speaking, he stood in the midst of them. But they were terrified and frightened. Let me go on from there. Uh, suppose that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, 38, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? This is now all the disciples, right? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy, you know, <laughs> and they were too overjoyed to actually believe that this thing is real, like this is, this is Jay in, in front of us. You know what I mean? While they did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? I love Jesus. I love because ghosts don't eat. Spirits don't eat nothing. Do you understand me? So he says, do you have food here? Do you understand? And they, you know, that was his Egyptian African upbringing. You know? So do you have food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. I'm not sure... I, I love Jesus enough to try that combination. <laughs> but Shah, they gave him food. Broiled fish and honeycomb. Honeycomb is actually really nice to, to chew on. And he took it for 43 and he ate it in their presence. 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. Hmm? Law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? And the prophets, all them guys, Isaiah, Joel, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, and the Psalms, David, Moses, and some of the Levites, and the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. Who was the law of Moses concerning? Jesus. Who was all the prophets concerning? Jesus. Who was all the Psalms concerning? Jesus. 45. Thank you, Spirit of God. And he opened.
opened their understanding. How does the TPT put the statement? And he, he supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive the revelation of the scriptures. He supernaturally unlocked the understanding to receive the revelation of the scripture. New King James says he opened the understanding that they may comprehend. Is that what it says? Open the understanding that they may, might comprehend the scriptures. How does the Amplified puts this verse? And then he opened their minds to help them understand the scriptures. 46, then he said to them, Thus it is written, and it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. 48 on the last verse of this text. And your witnesses of these things. He opened their eyes to understand the scriptures. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms as were written concerning him. The word of God is God's will, counsel, and essence as collectively. I'm just introducing this thing on as collectively captured in the spirit-inspired writings of the Bible, that together reveal Christ in the hearts and minds of the readers and hearers. Acts 20, 32. Acts 20. Acts 20. 32. So now, brethren, the apostle is speaking, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Whose grace? The grace of our Lord. You see, you have always read it. You have always quoted it at the end of every service and every devotion and every meeting. I don't realize that it's, it's actually scripture. It's, it's not a chant. It's not a creed. It's scripture. Yeah, it was just a greeting. Paul was just ending the letter. And I said, now may the grace yeah, to the Corinthians of our Lord Jesus. So when you say grace, whose grace is it? The law was given by Moses, John chapter 1. But grace and truth by Christ. Right? The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Who appeared to all men? Christ. He appeared to them once to take away sin. And I've taught you in this house that the appearance of Christ was not his birth. The appearance of Christ was not even his ministry showing up on the street and healing the sick, causing the lame to, to walk and, and the blind to hear and the lame to hear and, and the dumb to see. The appearance of God was on the cross. That's what he's, he meant when he said, if I, the son of man, be lifted up. If I, the son of man, be crucified, stretched out on the tree, take on the curse of the world, I will draw men unto me. Not if I, the son of man, be praised, I will draw men. What kind of God is that? What kind of cheap God is that that needs people to praise him, to draw men to him? What kind of cheap God is that are you serving, O Christian? That cannot save men until you praise him. Lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher, lift him high for the world to see. Oh, he said, if I be lifted high from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Lift him, lift him, lift him. Can you hear how stupid that sounds? So when I go, lift him up higher, lift him up higher, lift him up higher. Because as you are lifting him up, as you are lifting him, he is drawing men. 
If I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto him. If I, our theology needs fixing. And that's why there are some songs you can't afford to sing anymore when you're coming to the revelation of God's word in the light of Christ. That's not what he meant because he qualified it in the same gospel of John. He told them, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so also the son of man ought to be lifted up. So was he saying that just as the serpent was worshipped in the wilderness? John chapter 3. Ah, Malakos. The Christ conscious believer is bound by and therefore yielded to God's word in the light of Christ only. Somebody say in the light of Christ only. In the light of Christ only. Thank you, Father. John chapter 3 and verse 14. John 3, 14. Jesus is speaking and he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent. Please switch to another translation like NLT. Um, let's see how the TPT puts this. And then we'll come back to the King James. Good. And just as Moses, the Passion Translation, just as Moses in the desert lifted up the brass replica of his snake on a pole for all people to see and be healed, so the Son of Man is ready to be lifted up. The message. The message. In the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert so people could have something to see and then believe. It is necessary for the Son of Man to be lifted up. Now go back to New King James, which is the popular phrase. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him lifted up. Do you understand? That's why we preach Christ and him crucified because in his crucifixion is our redemption so it's not believing that jesus was around that's not good enough it's not believing are you following me tonight it's not believing that jesus was son of god that doesn't do anything for you it's believing that this jesus was lifted up and in your believing of what he did by his lifting up you come into eternal life it was not referring to praise and worship there it wasn't now see john chapter 12 to qualify the lifting up John chapter 12, um, 32. So this is when Jesus now says, if, I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples, King James, old King James says, all men to me. Now please, in the name of Jesus, look at the next verse. This he said, signifying what death he should die. What's wrong with us? TPT. He said this to indicate, TPT is what makes it worse. He said this to indicate that he would die by being lifted up on the cross. The message. He put it this way to show how he was going to be put to death. And there's believers that will see this Nigerians say koro koro in their Bible and they will reply with that lame phrase. It's working for me. It's a familiar spirit that is working for you, sir. Because you can't say, you can't be saying, if I, if, leave Jesus higher. Leave. He said if I, 
be lifted high from the earth. I will draw all men. You're either singing that you're lifting Jesus high like, a, like a, the top goal scorer of a football match. You know, you're lifting him up. Is that you're saying that or, you're, or, or do you know what you're saying? Crucify Jesus now. Crucify Jesus now. Everybody gather in this church and kill him. Because if we kill him now again and again, he will draw all of us unto him. Oh yeah, put Jesus now. Kill him now. Put him up on the tree to die. That's what you're singing. How does that make sense? Because he went into and he paid that price once and for all. Once and for all. After he did that, he, did that, he sat down. He sat down. You can't be saying lift Jesus higher. You, 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 when he was lifted up, it wasn't you that lifted him up in the first place. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. And because I lay it down, I have the power to take it up again. Nobody took my life from him. That's why when everything was done, they got to this guy. He was dead. They got to that guy. He was Jesus himself gave up the ghost. They broke the legs of this guy rather to die. Broke the legs of that guy to die. He came to Jesus. Jesus himself, he didn't die from the pain of physical crucifixion. He, gave, he, he was done. When he was done, he himself gave up the spirit. He himself gave up the ghost. They didn't take the ghost from him. By God's preordained plan, you crucified. So it was God that crucified Christ using men. Second Timothy 3. Ooh. Second Timothy 3. <laughs> Hallelujah. Second Timothy 3, 16. I'm just trying to establish the definition. <laughs> that's honestly, that's where I am. <laughs> that's where I am. The word of God is God's will, counsel, and essence as collectively captured in the spirit-inspired writings of the Bible that together reveal Christ in the hearts and minds of the readers and hearers. That's where I've been. All scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture, that's why I said the word of God is spirit-inspired writings. Yeah? Peter actually writes and says that no, no prophecy, no word of prophecy is of private interpretation. But holy men wrote as they were inspired by God, right? And the inspiration is the breath of life, and that's the Holy Spirit. So 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Other translations say all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for Correction for instruction in righteousness. All scripture instructs you to righteousness. 17. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished or equipped for every good work. Now scriptures, as you know, you know if you're growing a bit in your New Testament theology, is Genesis to Malachi as it were. But the danger of that of that is that the New Testament believer can believe that or can 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 conclude or submit that the epistles and the gospels are not part of scripture. Okay? And I've showed you this in this house before, but let me show you again. Second Peter Second Peter 3.15. Second Peter 3.15 and 16. You see that Peter is telling the churches, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord, this is Peter who walked with Jesus, yeah? Petros, Simon Peter. Consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, 
has written to you, Paul, Paul's epistles. So Peter is writing after Paul. At the time Peter is writing this, Paul's epistles are out in public circulation. Right? So Paul says, according to the wisdom God gave him, Paul has written to you, 16, as also in all his epistles, I love God's word, if you just take time and read it and understand it and rightly divide it, speaking in them of things, of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. So Paul was saying that, Peter was saying that, man, the things that Paul wrote, yeah, so that some things are hard to understand. Which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. So if you don't understand Paul's writings, you are most likely untaught or you are unstable. Something is doing you in your head. Your head is not fully loaded. They twist to their own destruction. Look at the next line. As they do also the rest of the scriptures. What does that tell us? That Peter was acknowledging and therefore professing that the epistles in this context were scriptures. And keep in mind, this is TPT now. 2 Peter 3.15, keep in mind that our Lord's extraordinary patience simply means more opportunity for salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him, he consistently speaks of these things in all of his letters, right? Even though he writes some concepts that are overwhelming to our understanding which the unlearned and unstable love to twist to their spiritual ruin as they do to other scriptures. What's the scriptures in view in this text? Paul's writings accepted by the early church as scripture, which unlearned and unstable men are twisting to their own peril as they are also doing with other scriptures. The word used for other there is the word loipos in the Greek. L-O-I-P-O-S. Loipos. And loipos means remaining. You know when you eat in Nigerian terms, you say you eat rice and then the remaining one. Okay, so that's rest. Rest in the sense of other. You know, the rest of remaining. When, the, the remaining portion of something that is the same. That's the word loipos, L-O-I-P-O-S. That's the word used in, in, in that phrase, as they do to other scriptures. As they do to other scriptures. And the word other is the word loipos, which means the remaining of. So Peter understood and therefore exerted, submitted, that Paul's writings were part of the scriptures. Otherwise, he would have said they are perverting Paul's writings as they do the scriptures, which would have created a dichotomy between Paul's writings as apart from the scriptures. Does that make sense? But the word used there emphatically in the Greek is the word that, that includes Paul's writings as part and quite an essential, crucial part of the scripture. So, so that's important, okay? The word of God is his very being. The word of God is Christ. But let me, let me before I go there, the word of God is his very being, the very being of God. They are the nature of God as revealed in Christ. The word of God is the very being of God as revealed in Christ. Listen carefully. Through the lens of whom the written word is read. 
studied, understood, and practiced. The word of God is his being, right? As revealed in Christ through whose lens? Does that make sense? The written word, that's the graphe. Through whose lens? The written word is read, studied, understood, and practiced. In other words, the written word is read, studied, understood, and practiced through the lens of Christ. Who gives explanation to the being of God as contained in his word? Let's look at John 5. John 5, quickly. John 5.46, just the one. The word of God is his being, right? As revealed in Christ, through whose lens the word written is read, studied, understood, and practiced. Bear that in mind. And we're dealing with the, the, the points the Christ-conscious believer is one who understands or he's bound by and therefore yielded to the word of God in the light of Christ alone. The light of Christ alone. John 5, 46. For if you believed Moses, Jesus telling them, the Jews of his day, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he, Moses, wrote about me. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all about Jesus. Against this backdrop, now, notice how systematic I've been with you. I've showed you scriptures. I've showed you Luke 24, where Jesus expounded to them all the things concerning him in scriptures. Yeah, I've showed you that that scripture also includes Paul's writing, just in case somebody wants to dismiss Paul's writings as not being part of scripture. And then now you have seen Jesus said that the law was about him. Yeah. Remember, Jesus was emphatic in Luke 24 about the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, leaving nothing out. Right? Right? Then we see in John 5, 46, if you leave Moses, you believe me because Moses, the law, wrote about me. So the issue is, and I'm going ahead of myself, but the issue is understanding the law in the light of Christ. Not understanding the law as tenets or commandments that should be kept independent. That's where the people of the old covenant missed it. Because the law reveals Christ. They tried to keep a law because they did not see Christ. Does that make sense? Partial blindness until us. That together with us, or apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Joshua 1.8, in the light of what I've said. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law. Which law was it? The law of Moses. Who did Moses write of? They just didn't see it. So they were trying to keep the law as the law. Not understanding that the law was written to point them to Christ. So in the light of that, Paul Joshua says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written in it. For then, if you obey the law and observe to do, all that is written in it, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Remember last week I showed you in the book of Acts chapter 1, the former account I wrote to you, almost excellent Theophilus, of all that Christ began both to do and teach. Are you with me tonight? The law wrote of Christ. 
the law spoke of Christ. So when you read Joshua 1.8 and it says, Observe to do all that is written in the law. Do you understand that? that if the law's outcome, if the law's end result, if the law's message was Christ, then really all you should be observing to do is Christ. If you see the message of the law. Not trying to keep the law in itself, but trying to, but aligning or obeying the Christ conscious believer. Stay with me. Is one who is bound by and therefore yielded to God's word in the light of Christ only. Are we together? Psalm chapter 1. I need verse 2, but for context, we'll go from verse 1. Again, this was flogged into you in school, flogged into you in, in morning devotion. Over and over. Literally flogged into you. If you came from a good Christian home. <laughs> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. See verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. Who was the law pointing to? The law of Moses. Moses wrote of Christ. So when you read these scriptures now, as a New Testament believer, you're reading that in the light of Christ being the message of the law. Do you understand that? So the word of God is Christ. Yes? The word of God is Christ. And Christ is the explanation of God. Christ is the explanation of God. You know how, oh, I just remembered one phrase now. You know how Lady Choice put up a Facebook post about phrases and words that are not scriptural. I just remembered one that we are about to kill now. Oh, why didn't I remember it? Do not think that I didn't want my wife to shine, so I didn't, you know, say it in her post. That's not, that, no, I just didn't remember. And it's very popular, very popular. I don't know how she missed it and everybody else. You know which one it is? Do you want me to tell you? I want me to tell you. Say, please. Say, Pastor, please. Say, pretty Pastor, please. <laughs> this one. We can't question God. It's a very big one. It's a very big one. We can't question God. Here's another one. Known to God are all his ways. They are, they are cousins. Yeah, they're, they're related. Yeah, like first cousins. But you know, I got to realize a few years ago, you can question God as long as you are ready to receive and deal with the answer. God is not afraid of your questioning. Question him. The problem is whether you are ready for his answer. So when we say we can't question God, basically what we are saying in essence is we can't ask God a question that we know he will answer us the answer we want to hear in the predicament we are in. Because we know that God will not answer us to patronize our predicament. So let's not ask him. That's really what that phrase means when Christians use it. We can't question God. Ah, if I could question you. Ah, if I could question you, I would sit you down and say, God, why did you kill my sister? But because I can't. So what, what what we're saying is that I want to ask you something that I that I but I, you will not tell me what that I want to hear to 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 touch this pain where the pain is pain in me. I can't, I can't question you. 
No, you can't. Sit down, ask God, what's, what, what's going on? Really, Father, what's, what's going on? What's with this? And then brace yourself like he told Job. Brace yourself for the answer and take it head on like a son of God. Are you not the one wanting to know the mind of your father? How would you know? He's Ask him. God is not afraid of your question. God? Then why, why is he God? Or, or he, he doesn't want you to ans- ask the question because he, God, does not have the answer. So he now hides behind the cloak of sovereignty. I'm a sovereign God. You can't question me. Where, is he say, where does he say that? Question him. Collect the answer from the word as, as revealed in the light of Christ. And the church say, Amen. Jesus is the explanation of God. John 1, 1 to 14, in the beginning was the word, right? Right down to 14. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So Jesus gives expression, tangible expression, transactional expression to the Godhead, to the God that dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen, no, at any time, no, can see. Does that make sense? Jesus is the explanation of God. Philip asked him, he said, show us the Father. And he will be fine with us. And Jesus said, have I been with you this long? And you do not know me. He who has seen me has seen the Father. In, he, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Jesus, write this down. Don't forget it. Jesus Christ is the explanation of God. That's why we have said over and over, to know God is to see Christ. To see Christ is to know God. Revelation 19, 11 to 16. I love this one. Revelation 19, 11 to 16. Revelation 19, 11 to 16. Ah, you'll love this one. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on the horse was called faithful. That's his name, calling, appellation was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Verse 12. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. You see, it's not you that crowned him. We crown him. Chinekeme. Eh? You, like this, you know, tell Jesus, bring forth the royal diadem. You're bringing that robe, you know. Say, Jesus, I come, Jesus, come, let's ordain you. I crown him, Lord. Eh? Well, but why won't you crown him when you are the one that lifted him up? Check it out. Check it out. Just things down. <laughs> I want the church crown him. Because if you have the audacity to lift him up anytime you like. Yeah. Think about it. Tuesday, prayer meeting. Friday, two or three are gathered. You just crucify Jesus. Just lift him up. Anyhow. Willy Lily. Why would you crown him? And crown him. No. On his head. Where? Many crowns. He wasn't being introduced to be crowned. And not of men or angels or the 24 elders. 
No. God exalted Jesus. God. God. He's the only one that knows what to do with Jesus. <laughs> How God highly exalted. He's the only one that knows. Because they two are one and the same. On his head were many crowns. We just killed another one. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. His name was called Faithful and True. That one we, they told us. On his head, one head, were many crowns. Don't ask me the configuration of the many crowns. He, 13, 13. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. Not his description is are you following me tonight? Not his adjectivization is. Not his qualification is. His identity is the word of God. His name. So listen to me. Word of God is as much the name of the son as Jesus is. I bless your name there, word of God. Heaven heard the same thing. I bless your name, God most high. Heaven heard the same thing. You know, call him what he has called himself. Leave your own out of the way. Leave your own. The one that opens the door, no man, the man that does this, the masquerade that comes out in the day and everybody runs. You know all those things that you, you quote in your language. And I was going to get to that tonight. I'm just, I'm just it's, it's in this part, in this point, but I'm not going to get to it tonight. Unfortunately, I, I, don't, I want to get to it. To get to the traditions of men. And to explain to you how you cannot know God. God cannot be explained by these sayings of your village people. I'll show you. You can't explain God. You can't come and be a teacher of God's word. And be using a parable of your village. To try to explain Christ. That's sensual teaching. Sensual teaching. His name is called. We call him what he has called himself. His name is called. He's called faithful and true. His name is called the Word of God. That's his name. Let's finish this for context. We're going to verse 6. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. With it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself threads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He threads. Uh, 16. You're not doing, doing the revelation. 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King Asote, brother, of kings and lord of lords written boldly as a tattoo on the thigh of the word of God. The word of God is the king of kings. The king of kings is the lord of lords. The lord of lords is the word of God. The word of God is the son of God. The son of God is the explanation of God. The son of God is God. God is the king of kings and the lord of lords. God is the word of God. God is the son. The son was born and his name was called everlasting father. Isaiah 9, 6. 
The word of God is Christ and Christ is the explanation of God. His name is called the word of God, right? On his thigh is written a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. First John chapter 1. First John chapter 1 verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Are you with me? The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father. That eternal life, word of life, eternal life, which was with the Father. The same was in the beginning with God. This is the same writer. So he was understanding from the same lens. Yeah, the word of life. Which kind of life? The only quality of life God has to give is eternal. God has no other kind of life to give you. If it's not eternal, it's not of God. If you can lose it, it's not of God. If what you can do can scatter the quality of it, it's not of the only quality of life God has to give. is eternal. He can only give what he has. God cannot give what he doesn't have. God cannot lose his life. He's eternal. So he wants to give you and bring you into fellowship with him. What does he give you? Of his own substance. And what is his substance? Eternal. God gives what he has. The only quality of life God has for sale is eternal. Who paid the price? Stepped up. The second, the last Adam paid the price in full. He didn't leave any. It's not they paid something and then you now went to pick it up. You now paid the way bill. No. No, no, no. So the word of life, what kind of life? Eternal life. And so we declare to you that eternal life John says, which was with the Father, the same was in the beginning with God. So who is the word of life? The word. Christ, the Son, who was in the beginning with God, according to John chapter 1. This is First John chapter 1. Same writer. And declared to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. John 1, 12, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you may also have fellowship and the word fellowship is the word koinonia with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Somebody say my joy is full. Because I have the word of life. Who is eternal life? Same substance. My joy is full. I have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Unbroken unfettered, unhindered through Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. Hallelujah. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light, verse 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. I think I've gone ahead of where I needed it. I needed just one to three and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no sin or we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It doesn't stop there. There's no chapters and verses. It's one letter. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. 
And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. I had to just keep reading to get it there. But let me come back to all I wanted to show you was that the word of life, eternal life, has appeared to us. And that word is Christ, who is the explanation of God. Therefore, and I'll end here for today. The end result of the word of God, if the word of God is Christ, right? If the word of God is the, is, is the explanation of the counsel, the mind, and the will of God as unveiled in Christ, then it means that the end result of the word of God has to be Christ revealed and formed in its hearer. It just follows, right? The end result of the word of God. The end result of the word of God is Christ. It has to be. He is the outcome of the receiving, the understanding, and the practice of God's word. Christ formed in the believer is the outcome of the receiving, the understanding, and the practicing of God's word. In other words, the measure to which you will be Christ to be formed in you is directly proportional to the your amount of receiving, understanding, and practicing God's word. Your amount of being bound by and therefore being yielded to God's word. In other words, in other other words, you cannot grow in your level of maturity beyond your level of yieldedness to the word of God as is revealed in Christ. It takes receiving, understanding, and practice of God's word. Galatians 4.19 My little children for whom I labor yeah, as with birth pangs that Christ be formed in you. What is that labor? When Paul said he was laboring, what was he doing? Those that have rule over you are worthy of double honor, especially those that labor over you. He defines what that labor is in the preaching and teaching of the word. So when Paul says, my little children in Galatians 4.19, whom I labor over that Christ be formed in you, what labor is he talking about? Teaching. Do you get it now? My little children for whom I am painstakingly pumping you with the gospel and teaching you and discipling you and instructing you that the outcome may be that what Christ is formed in you. Christ is formed in you. The word is given for us to obey. That's why I showed you those Old Testament verses in the light of Christ. It's given for us to obey. You cannot become what you don't obey. You can't. To obey, you must to, to become, you must of a necessity obey because it's, it's obedience that brings conformity to. Did you hear that? Obedience brings conformity. How you when, when you say you are a law abiding citizen, it means that you are obeying the law. And that brings you into what? Conformity. So once the road safety pulls you over and you have everything they need, you are righteous in that sense. You are conformed to, to road safety standards. Does that make sense? You need to take a vaccine at a particular point in your life. You take this vaccine, you are in conformity. Obedience brings about conformity. There cannot be conformity in the absence of obedience. So if we are being formed into the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ, we must of necessity submit ourselves to obey his word. The word of God is not just to tickle you. Imagine that all Christ came to do is to make you now just be there and live anyhow you like. No. The word of God came 
to bring us into conformity. And we enter that conformity by obedience. So you cannot be said to be a son. Ah, man. John 12, 26. And then I'll take John 14. John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor. Bear that in mind as we go to John 14. John 14, 21. We're talking about the word of God is for obedience, right? Um, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now see 23 and 24, which are the key scriptures for us as a local church with abiding house. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If anyone loves me, not he will worship me. Not he will pray to me. Not he will give to me. Are you, are you, are you here? Not he will make me feel good. Or not I will tickle. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear is not mine. The word, he said, which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. He who does not love me does not keep my word. Let's, let's, let's flip the, the words around. He who does not keep my word does not love me. He who does not keep my word does not love me. So all I've taken time to explain to you about who the word of God is and what the word of God is and what the outcome of the word of God is and what the result of the word of God is, is to enable you to understand the responsibility that comes with knowing what and who the word of God is as is demanded of you as a son of God. And that responsibility is for you to be bound by the word, is for you to be yielded to the word, is for you to obey the word so that you come into conformity transactionally with who you have been made to become positionally. I repeat, if I can, that you come into conformity with God to become who you have been made positionally, but you are coming into it transactionally. You are a son of God. You are not obeying the word of God to become a son of God positionally. Does that make sense? You are a son of God. It's the same thing with your earthly father. You are your father's son. If you're disobedient, you're disobedient because you were born by your father. If you are not born in your father's house, you will not even be a son. How much more be a disobedient one? So for you to be even qualified to be any kind of son, you had to have first been born by your father and that had nothing to do with you. So positionally, you're a son of God. Transactionally, your obedience brings you into conformity with where you are positionally. Then you begin to reap the blessing of that position. So you can be a son and not enjoy the benefits thereof because you're not obeying the counsel of your father. Because you're not obeying the mind of your father. Because you're not obeying the essence of your father. Are you following me tonight? So you're, again, I repeat, you're a son positionally, 
but there's blessings. And that's where I'm, that's why I'm, 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 I want to stop here until the next one. Because next, I will show you the difference between the blessing, eulogio in the Greek, and the blessings, makarios in the Greek. And you see the difference. How Jesus is the eulogio of Abraham. Are you following me? But then there is makarios that come with obedience. In the New Testament, people get confused because it says blessed. Does that make sense? So, blessed be the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1-3, who has blessed us in all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, and then you see uh, Galatians 3, uh, 13, Christ has redeemed us from the cross of the law. Have been made a cause for us as written, Christ is he that hangs on a tree. Verse 14, I believe that says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. The word blessing is the word eulogio. Does that make sense? But that you, you do these things, if you do these things, you are blessed. Blessed are you if you do them. Jesus actually says that. I think in Luke, where somebody comes and says to him, after he was teaching, a woman heard him speak and she was like, wow, Jesus, blessed is the woman that bore you. And Jesus replied and told her, no, 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 no. More blessed is the one that hears this word and obeys them. And you're caught up with Mary. He's just like, no, it ain't about Mary. Yeah, Mary has some benefits for giving birth to the human Jesus, you know, the honor and all that in the earth. That's but more, but the, the emphasis of makarios. Makarios, it means benefits that are poured upon you that make you enviable. That's makarios. Benefits you enjoy, favor that you enjoy that makes people envy, that makes you enviable. Favor that you, enviable are you if you will obey me, Jesus is saying. And that's different from me being eulogio to you of God according to the promise of Abraham. There are two different things. Well, you know, English just says blessing. And you can easily go, yeah, well, we have been blessed in Christ. Yes, you have received eulogio in Christ, but there are some makarios that only your obedience will unlock. There's some, there's some makarios, some benefits. Do you understand? Some, some, some favors that only conformity to the nature of Christ will unlock in your life. There are things we are struggling with only because we are deliberately out of conformity with his word. There's nobody chasing you from your village. There's no household wickedness that wasn't destroyed. There's no struggle you're going through. Don't blame it on your third class that you graduated with. It's not that. There's people that came out with a fourth division and are doing all right. Don't blame it on the kind of school you went on the kind of environment, you know, we talked about a few weeks ago about how Nigeria is always looking for somebody to blame instead of taking responsibility. Don't blame it on that. There is some, somewhere in your life, in my life, that we are out of conformity with God's word and we know it. We know it. And because we know it and we're not walking in conformity, with you have the eulogio, but you don't have the makarios. Father, help your people. Relationships are suffering, not because you don't have the blessing. You do now, you are a son. Do you understand? You have Christ, who is the blessing of Abraham. You Lord Joe. But your relationship is suffering not because you don't have Christ, but because there's no conformity as per obedience to God's word. So the benefits of relationship you cannot enjoy, even though you have right standing with God. 
So hear me. The fact that you are a son of God does not guarantee that your marriage will not fail. The fact that you are a son of God does not guarantee that your business will work. The fact that you are bought with a price doesn't guarantee that you will ace it in school. The fact that you are a son of God doesn't mean that your relationship will be smooth and fluid. The fact that you are a son of God does not mean that you will have a good testimony in the house you live in. The fact that you are a son of God doesn't mean that your siblings will respect you and see you anything other than what you really are. What will the game changer, it therefore turns out, transactionally speaking. Do you understand? Nobody's arguing with you positionally. Are you following me now? Understand it, especially you New Testament believer that is quick to think that everything is works. Nobody's arguing position with you. You are sat with Christ in heavenly places. No problem. No, and that's the dangers of the things that we preach. If coming to Christ means that you don't have any problem, why will Paul say that, our light affliction? Why will Paul say that, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, we are pressed, but not crushed. Why would James say, count it all, joy, when? Not if, when? Why will Romans 5 say that we suffer, we, we, we rejoice in our afflictions, we glory in afflictions, because it produces perseverance. Why will scripture say that if coming into sonship eliminates all those things? It means that in your bucket of sonship, you would drink some of this. Transactionally. And the level to which you handle, the, the, handles, handle this determines your capacity to enjoy the makarios that come with sonship that you already have by eulogio. Do you understand? Your salvation is intact. You are saved though. You are not going to hell. There is nothing you can do to get you to hell. Do you understand what I'm saying? You are, you are you're already in heaven. You are sat there. Now, can we transact in the earth? And can we get his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because our citizenship is of heaven. Philippians 3.20. And that can only come about by conformity, obedience, yieldedness, and being bound to his word. Obeying it. Then that's what unleashes the benefits that come with your positional sonship. So you see, the word of God is not something you can take lightly. It's not. It's not. You can't be listening to the word of God and not determined to obey it. Because what you're doing is you're cheating yourself. God is God, regardless of whether you obey him or not. And I, I really pray at this point that the eyes of your understanding may enlighten. I mean, what I've dropped, I'm sure you will think about it a lot. Macarios, Eulogio. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.